0: Good morning, everyone. This morning we are in Luke chapter 11. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And what a great question, by the way, just to be able to sit at the Lord's feet and ask Jesus, Lord, how do do we pray? And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, to be in awe of God's name, to praise his name. It's good to start off acknowledging the Lord as set apart, as holy, and to adore him. Um, to begin prayer with adoring God is a wonderful thing. And then it says, your kingdom come. And as we would learn in Matthew's version, it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here it just says, your kingdom come. Uh, Same concept, and that is that may we live as though we're living for God's kingdom now. And although it has not fully come, it's spiritually come. And we're supposed to try to live as God's people, even in a world that isn't believing in Him. May we honor Him as though we're bringing heavenly living to earth. Give us each day our daily bread and... I think, you know, Jesus had such a great example of not living for the world. Now, his life was going to end short without a wife and children after three years of ministry. But nonetheless, Jesus showed a life that is not fixated on, uh, you know, material goods. And as long as he had what he needed for that day, that's all he needed to serve God and I think that's good to remember. Sometimes our stresses can get caught up in what we're trying to acquire, or what we're trying to accomplish for ourselves. And if we realize, you know what, I've got what I need for today to serve God. We just keep life more simple and more focused on Him. Um, and forgive us our sins. Hallelujah. And do we need the Lord for that, right? For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And we are to forgive others, and that's just the way. Uh, forgive is you have been forgiven, and we are to um, easily forgive others. Um, you know, the, a great saying, it's not in the Bible, but it's a, it's a great word. I think it's echoed by the Bible, but uh, it, it says this, a, a saying, To forgive is to set the prisoner free, only to discover the prisoner was me. The one who's really harmed by our unforgiveness of others is is ourselves, and God is setting us free through forgiveness and and he lived a life of forgiveness, He forgave those who you know put him up on that cross, and he forgave all of us, and we are to live to easily forgive others, and lead us not into temptation, uh, guide us away, God, from destructive things, protect us, keep us away, and those are great. That's a great model of prayer to go through and, you know, you can pray those exact words or you can kind of meditate on each of those, each of the phrase a little bit like what we did and then offer prayer to God in likeness to those phrases of this prayer. Um, you know, I'm glad they asked that simple question and we got a simple answer from Jesus. And the, it's a really deep prayer the more you think about it. And may we echo that prayer in our lives spend some time thinking about it then he said to them suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him and from inside he answers and says do not bother me the door has already been shut and my children are in bed I cannot get up and give you anything I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Meaning that the friend asked for like a a difficult task or a challenging task in the middle of the night. And he, he actually is saying, you know what, if that friend keeps asking, the friend will respond. They'll just want to give what's been asked. And, God is painting a picture through the story that when we keep on asking it it God wants to respond to our prayer and that we should keep asking it's kind of interesting as you think about having you know children and they want something and you know kids can want something if they walk by something in a store they want whatever they see at that moment so you kind of learn as parents they don't really know what they want you know but if there's a kid who longs for something for a really long time and keeps asking as a parent, you kind of are like, you know what? This is something he really or she really does want. And then you you want to provide it many times for them. So uh, God is saying it's similar that we should keep asking. So I say to you, listen to what he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. You know, and I remember when I first decided that I wanted to know if God was real, I prayed a prayer. I said, God, if you're real, I'd, I would want to know that you're real. Uh, would you reveal yourself to me? That was one of my first prayers to God. God, if, you, if you're real, I would want to know you are real. Would you reveal yourself to me? And he did. And, you know, when you ask to know God and to seek him, you will find him. And, He's sharing with them that, you know, in prayer, if you keep asking, God wants to respond. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, and he will not not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, at first it seems like what he's saying is, you know, look, at you ask for a certain thing, you're not going to get something else. And you know what, if you keep asking, the Lord's going to give it to you. And I think that is referencing the passage. But then it gets specific. He says, um, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Jesus may be like giving a picture of the church age, because remember, we're not quite there yet, and the Holy Spirit is not inside of everyone who believes yet, but it will happen soon. You know, by the time, that's what's interesting again, in reading the Gospels, because by the time Luke wrote this, you know, well into the church age, after the death, re- death and resurrection of Jesus, this was true. If you came to Jesus in faith and said, Lord, I believe in you, uh, he wants to give you his Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and, and Jesus saying this, you know, in this season before the cross, is saying that just as... Just as your father wants to give you what you asked, Jesus wants to give you the Holy Spirit. May we always be um, seeking more of God's Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord. Uh, he, He has offered us his Holy Spirit through believing in him. But there's something to acknowledging, thinking upon, meditating upon the Holy Spirit that allows us to experience the fullness of what he's already given us. And sometimes if we are not asking, seeking, or considering the Holy Spirit. We can operate on less of it than what we should have. So may we pause and say, Lord, fill us, and Lord, guide us, and Lord, may we sense the fullness of the Holy Spirit that you've given us. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed, but... Some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, so basically the ruler of demons. Basically, they're calling Jesus demonic. Others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven, which he's given plenty of signs, and uh, he doesn't seem to enjoy when people need another one instantaneous. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, "Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself." Falls, and you know it's interesting because some division uh, that's always existed, like say in America, it can be healthy in the sense that you don't change because if you're if you if one person wants to change one party and another one doesn't, well then you can't agree and therefore you you don't make change and you stick with what you originally had. That's been one of the benefits of. Basically, a two-party system in America, but I think at some point it gets so divided that it, it just can't stand. And you know, uh, I can't help but think about America and how divided it is as a country right now politically. That the gap between the two parties has grown so significantly. And to me, it's, it's a matter of <clears throat> you know, m- m- true faith and 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 darkness. It, it, there's a, there is a big difference, sadly, between the two parties and. One is becoming more atheistic and the other one, you know, needs to to hold on to their faith even more. Uh, that is for sure. But um, the, the the division is growing. Then he says this in verse 18, If Satan also is divided against himself, <clears throat> how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Belzebub, and if I by Belzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Uh, so they will be your judges, and he's basically, he's basically just criticizing them and saying, "Listen, I'm not casting out Belzable. Why would a demon want to cast out a demon? And that doesn't make any sense." So he's basically mocking them for what they believe, and and he's saying, "If I am a demon casting out a demon, he's like, well, your sons, there's some people that are casting out demons. He's like, in in their Jews, and he's saying, well, then there must be uh, Belzable too." You know, so he's kind of criticizing their thought on that. But then he says in verse 20, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Isn't that a beautiful word? Look at that. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come come upon you. And that is exactly what has happened. Is the kingdom of God has come to them through Jesus Christ, if they will only see it. When a strong man, fully armed, verse twenty one, fully armed, guards his own possess guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. <clears throat> but when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. And that, that's it. some some of these verses are a little bit hard to uh, to discern. And it, it could be what Jesus is saying is that you know he is the stronger one, and he can depose any strength, any evil person, any demon, because Jesus is stronger. And he can, he can, uh, you know, he can destroy strongholds because he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Uh, And then he says, he who is not with me is against me. And it appears like someone who's against me, there's against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters and It's interesting to think about that. He who does not gather with me scatters. Basically, if someone's not going to partner with me in doing my work, he will scatter. He really won't be part of the team. He really won't be fully with me. In fact, if he doesn't really get the mission of God and gather with me and co-labor with me, he likely won't last. He will scatter interesting i think it's important that we join jesus in his mission when the unclean spirit goes out of a man verse 24 it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any it says i will return to my house of which from which i came and when it comes it will it finds its swept and put in order then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself and they go in and live there and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first Uh, in a commentary i read this morning you know jesus fully can disarm the strong man and what what may be happening here is he's criticizing those who are falsely casting out demons and basically the demons just come back and it's worse than it was at the beginning that may be what jesus is saying there While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And isn't that interesting that, you know, it's probably something I would have never said, right? But a a woman who rears children and has a baby and takes care of him, realizes the, the blessing of being the mother of Jesus. And, uh, that's just an interesting perspective that a, a mom would have. Um, beautiful. But look what Jesus says. But he said, on the contrary, and I don't think he's upset with this woman. That's not what what he's doing. But, but, but I think a woman who had Jesus is blessed, right? I mean, to be the mother of God, amazing. But then he says this, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Oh, what a word. I would imagine you would know that I would marvel, love this word. On the contrary, blessed are those to hear the word of God and observe it or obey it. And thank you for listening. Uh, I just believe this is one of the greatest habits of a human life, is to hear the word of God, to study the word of God, and to observe it and obey it. There is blessing and knowing the ways of God. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. And just as a woman would be blessed to have Jesus as a son, we are blessed by hearing and obeying the word of God. Hallelujah. Are you doing that? I think you are if you're listening. Keep listening. Keep reading. Keep the word of God in front of you. I'm telling you, your life will be better because of it. And the crowds were increasing. He began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It's going to be some hard words that we're going to hear here. And what you have to remember is that the Pharisees are doing a lot wrong. And he's frustrated with them. And that's going to come out in the rest of this chapter. Uh, it seeks a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Remember, they were seeking a sign earlier. Well, what did Jonah do? Jonah, first of all, ran from God. Jonah um, went into a whale for three days and then got spit out. And then he finally went and did what God asked him to do. And he went to preach repentance for the city of Nineveh. And they did repent at the preaching of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Uh, the Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You know, what he's trying to say is that, you know, we should be acknowledging who is in front of him. We should be acknowledging that Jesus, and we should be enjoying the fact that Jesus is here and honoring him, just as the queen of the south came to see Solomon when was blown away at Solomon's organization and wealth. We should really be listening to Jesus. And just as the Ninevites actually responded to the preaching of Jonah, the people should be responding to the preaching uh, of Jesus because he's saying something greater than Solomon is here. That's him. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it. So people in the past, like the queen and like Nineveh who repented, they're going to stand up and say, that why didn't you guys repent when you saw Jesus? Why didn't you come to him? Why are you rejecting the Messiah? Uh, because they, Nineveh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Clearly, Jesus is much greater and more magnificent and did more, mirac- more miraculous than Jonah. Why aren't you guys responding to Jesus? That's what he's saying. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see it. And that's why you do a lamp. You, you put a lamp to light up the room, to light the world. Uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. And this is an interesting passage. I'm going to read it first, and I'll try to explain it. The eye is the lamp of the body, your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light In you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. And what's being said here is that, like, like for instance, Jesus is there, right? Some people have eyes and they can see him and the light that he offers. Other people have eyes. They're living in the world, but they can't see it. They don't see Jesus for who he is because they're in darkness and they just can't accept the light. And as a result, even the things they see don't lead them to Jesus. They just don't see the light that's offered to them. And if your eyes don't see what's true and right and good in God, you miss out on light and therefore you're really in darkness. But if you're willing to see the ways of Jesus Christ and you see his word and his teaching and you see it as true light, now it illuminates you and it lights you and you see the purpose of life and it it fuels your life and it helps you. So basically, your eye, what do you see when you see? Are you able to see God? Are you able to see Jesus? Are you looking at the word of God as the word of God? Because then the light that it has will enlighten you. But if you're not willing, you will just see darkness and you will miss it. You'll miss it. And that's what he's saying. So the eyes... They all see, everyone who has eyes who, you know, obviously except for someone who's blind. But otherwise, everyone who has eyes sees. It's just, do you really see? Are they? Are you willing to see Jesus? Isn't that interesting? Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. It is interesting. This is a, an enemy, essentially, of Jesus. And he went and reclined at the table. So Jesus went. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonial Ceremonially washed before the meal. Now, now he's getting into the law, the Pharisee, and the Jesus is already beginning to make changes to the law that are going to fully come after his death and resurrection. But he's already indicating to them things are going to change, and like one of the things that changed is the things Jesus did on the Sabbath, and they highly criticized him for that. Well, apparently Jesus didn't do the law ceremoniously like a Pharisee thought they should. Uh, But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup on the platter, but inside of you you are full of robbery and wickedness, you foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. And basically, what Jesus is saying is, You guys are so worried about the religiosity, legal requirements of the law, and you're not willing to follow God from the heart. You don't have the heart of God. You don't care about people. What you care about is your law, but you're not actually benefiting the kingdom of God because you don't love God and your heart is bad. And that's, he's going to give them some woes here, but woe to you Pharisees for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. And yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these things are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And he's saying, you know what, you guys make sure you tithe all these various things and that you tithe all these things perfectly, but you don't love God. And you forget justice to people of the world. You let them be taken advantage of. In fact, you'll even take advantage of people. Oh, yes, you'll make sure you tithe perfectly. But you're missing out on greater things. And you should have tithed, but also loved others and given justice and not taken advantage of people. You guys got to get your heart right. Verse 43, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogue. You know, they always put themselves first. And the respectful greetings in the marketplaces, woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs. The people who walk over them are unaware of it. You're not supposed to walk over a tomb. And he's like, you guys are basically plaguing people. You are you are concealed tombs. But people don't, they're just not aware of how really evil and wicked that you guys are. Uh, some hard words for the Pharisees. And one of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. Uh, maybe because they were, you know, more in Likeness of the Pharisees, so their fame were insulted by your words. But he said, Woe to you, lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Uh, again, not caring about people and burdening people, really, and even insane to people, you should do this, but then not even doing it. Woe to you, you blind. You build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Basically, he's lining them up with their kind of people that killed the prophets who came before to warn the people about the things of God. They didn't like what they had to say, so they killed the prophets. Uh, Some of their family line have participated in persecuting the prophets who were before. Verse 48. So you are witnesses and approved the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them will kill and some of them will persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. He's saying that just like the former people persecuted prophets. You guys are, are like them. You're similar to them. Uh, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, remember Abel who um, brought a animal to be sacrificed and uh, Cain, his brother, killed him to the blood of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, uh, I was reading about him this morning, and that story comes from Second Chronicles chapter 24. And listen to this, verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? And he's going to give them an answer because you have forsaken the Lord. He has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him at the command of the King. They stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. So Zachariah was saying, you know what? The reason you're not blessed is because you're not following the commandments of God. You're not following God. And because you've forsaken him, he's forsaken you and they killed him. And, Jesus is remembering him. And from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Uh, He's basically saying, you guys are like the ones who did these things to Zechariah. You're like those kind of people. The way that you're attacking me and not listening to me, is, it's like the people of old who stoned the prophets who were before. Verse 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. They're not following God rightly. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who are entering. He's basically saying, you guys aren't living rightly for the kingdom of God, and you're the people that are under your leadership, the people that you're trying to lead, you're you're not helping them to really discover who God is. When he left there the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. And you know, we're only in Luke chapter 12, but as the gospel of Luke and many of the gospels, a lot of the the print is towards the end of Jesus's ministry. So even though we're only in Luke 12, I believe there's 24 chapters to the book of Luke, it may be like we're halfway through the ministry, but I don't think that's the case. We're getting near to the end and Jesus is becoming more combative with the Pharisees because his time is going to be short and he is going to get his life taken from him and I sometimes I think he's he's preparing them for the job that they're going to do and putting them on the cross uh by saying some of these things that definitely would be offensive to them but they were in error and sometimes people need a strong word so that they can recognize that the error they're in and Jesus was a person um that 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 did that and I think it's good to know his fullness uh you know there's a book out it's called gentle and lowly and because Jesus said that he was gentle and lowly and in it, it the whole book tends to try to you know talk about Jesus as that it was his number one characteristic is gentle and lowly and and i I listened to the book for a while on an audio book, and I'm like I had to put it down because i just I think that Jesus can be that way, but he's so much more rich and beautiful and well rounded and he's not just. One thing. You can't just position him one way. And if you look at the things that Jesus did and said throughout his whole life, you see the, a fullness of a man. Uh, you see a bold man. You see a man casting out demons. demons. You see a man attacking adversaries. You see a man um, tipping tables. And you also see a man who is gracious and loving and had beautiful words but he wasn't just one thing you can't just paint him in one way he's way too tremendous he's way too awesome he's way too big to just paint him in one as one thing and and, and sometimes there's a well-roundedness in him that we need in us uh, sometimes we do need to stand against what's evil and sometimes we need to humbly love and come alongside those who need encouragement uh, we need we need the, the the broadness and fullness of who Jesus is in operation even today as well. It's important that we take in the full counsel and really know Him, not just know Him a certain way, but know Him fully. Hallelujah! He's a, a beautiful God man, and uh, I'm glad that we together are following Him. God bless you all.